0: Welcome, you're watching an episode of Kalen's Conversation. This podcast series is the long-form version of the show, which is about learning from others and their ideas and stories for insight. Individual clips with the video are uploaded onto my YouTube channel regularly. I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Unfortunately the audio driver stopped working and it only cut back in after five minutes of me talking with Tamina Watson. Tamina Watson is an immigration lawyer from originally the United Kingdom but she works in Seattle Washington in America and um, she's had a very extensive career in the legal field under immigration and other topics and she's also an author and you can find her on Amazon. Without further ado this first clip that you're going to hear from her is her responding to a question I asked about the differences in legal language between the United States and England.
1: language that's a really good question that nobody's asked me before you know growing up in the UK and becoming a UK barrister Mm -hmm. I was well versed in UK law how to read the law how to cite the law what the words mean and when I moved to the United States language was different suddenly you know Mm -hmm. I I had to drop a vowel from (laughs) colour or favor <laughs> and that took some time i had i got miss, messed up with my s's and the z's you know now i've got accustomed to calling them z's you know defense and analyze and all of that and then the date how do you write the date uh, is it the month uh, first i mean i was a confused woman for a very long time i yeah, can tell you that yeah. i have a very funny story with my husband um in in the uk you know the cooking ingredient is coriander you know, the green leafy yeah, thing yeah. <laughs> and then in the us there's another name for it really? and it's really? called cilantro wow, and it, take, wow. it took me a very long time i mean i didn't know what it meant initially and so you go to the supermarket here which is generally referred to as a grocery store yeah. and i sent my husband to buy some coriander and the poor guy came home saying they didn't have coriander and I was like so shocked because they always have coriander so I'm like no they do I promise can you go to the market and I was very lucky I lived near the Pike Place Market a very famous landmark here so he went to the market and he went to several of those stands and nobody had coriander and then like the fourth stand an old person said hey come over here. I do have coriander, but I didn't expect you to ask for it. <laughs> and it turned out, I, I knew there were two words, but I couldn't remember which one it was. And so the old person took pity on him and gave him cilantro. Oh, and wow. so it's been a transition learning that. But the word redundant, for example, in the UK means somebody's being laid off from their job. Um, that's not the word that's used regularly here for redundancies it's really laying people off. So when I first moved here, and I was, you know, dealing with a client, and I asked them various questions about why they needed to change their immigration status, they said, you know, I I just, you know, was terminated from my position. And I said, oh, you were made redundant. When were you made redundant? And so then I was talking to my, my colleague, and she said, Tamina, you didn't say redundant to them, did you? And I couldn't understand why she was looking so shocked. And then it turned out that I was calling her useless without realising that's what I was calling her. Luckily, she was an immigrant, so she didn't get offended necessarily in the same way somebody else would have. But my colleague was certainly very, very offended at me and shocked that I called her that. So it's been a transition, but I've been here for 16 years almost. And it truly is my home and I love it here.
0: Seattle seems really um, uh, a really interesting place. I really would love to go there. Um, I was supposed to go to uh, the States, but COVID uh, caused, yeah. me, caused that to be impossible. But um, so how did you get uh, re-qualified when you went to States? Um, and why did you when, when you said you fell into immigration law? Can you just explain that?
1: Sure. So when somebody has a UK law degree, they can move to the, they can actually take the New York bar exams. And if any of your listeners and viewers go to law school in the UK, they might see their uh, literature at their schools about the New York bar exams. So I took the New York bar exams, but I live in Washington state. It's one coast, you know, compared to the other. And the United States is basically a federal government, meaning that each state has its own laws. And then they're also governed by, unified laws at the federal level. And so when I was living in Washington state, taking the New York bar, I didn't necessarily realize the obstacles I would face in getting a job. I really thought somebody would give me a job and put an asterisk near my name, but without a state license, I can't really practice say criminal law here because criminal law is state specific and you need to have a license for that. And uh, you know, Growing up in the UK, and my father was a UK immigration lawyer, I'd seen a lot of asylum cases and, you know, cases of humanitarian um, um, nature, in a humanitarian nature, and I didn't necessarily feel that I would be uh, gravitating to that kind of work, so I didn't really want to do immigration law for that reason, but pigeonholed into, um, you know, not being able to practice state law limited the areas of law I could practice. So when there were a few immigration law jobs that came my way, I really didn't want to do them. And to clarify, immigration law is a federal law, meaning that it is a unified uh, legal system that, you know, is the same no matter what state you live in and that's why i could practice it so when the third job came my way i thought okay there's a sign here let me just do this for a while and then figure out what i do next and after five years i could have waved into washington state without taking the bar exams um and i thought maybe i'll just do that but day one i thought oh my gosh this is so much more than i ever thought it could be Mm -hmm. i could be helping a ceo of a company to you know employees and yeah. entrepreneurs yeah. and yeah. investors yeah. as well as the asylum seekers yeah and domestic violence victims. You name what you want to work on, and you can do that in immigration. And I tend to, you know, work on business immigration, and I realise I have a knack for that. Mm. And so that's how I fell into it. Um, but what's interesting is my day job, if you like, is business immigration. I do, um, you know, help employers bringing employees, talent, and investors, and that sort of work. But my passion is really helping the vulnerable and in the last four years with president trump running the country and you know everybody's well aware of the immigration woes i've really been at the forefront of it um helping them and so i've started a nonprofit. i've started various novel programs and a lot of them are being written about right this moment and this week there will probably be uh, an article that will be out there will probably be another article out in the next couple of weeks about some new Types of legal clinics that I've been able to help uh, model or create in collaboration with others, and so I do that as pro bono, my passion work. Mm -hmm. So often I'll, you know, work around the clock because a lot of my time goes into the pro bono work. Yeah. Yeah, but I will tell you that when you love what you do and you have found your passion it doesn't feel like work because you really can see the impact you are making on people's lives particularly during crisis moments and distress times and we have many crises going on in the last four years it was one after another and they all built on on themselves And so the solutions were also, you know, learn from one and build on that. And so it really didn't necessarily feel like work, except your body gets exhausted, (laughs) energy gets (laughs) depleted. And so, you know, I've done a lot of self-improvement as well to figure out how can I sustain this energy and the mental state, you know, it's very important for people to realize, particularly under COVID, where it's exacerbated, that mental health is so important. Um, So...
0: You know, it's been a learning curve. Yeah, I mean, you, you learn as you go along. Um, it's, I think, the most important thing is to, to not give up. But obviously, you know, if it's your day job, it's not that easy. But um, yeah. Um, so tell me about, a bit about your legal practice. Uh, what's an immigration law? And um, you know, like you, you touched on the main thing that you do is uh, business. Uh, I don't know, business mm-hmm. services, or I don't know how you described it. That's
1: but, right. That's right. So business immigration means that, uh, and just to give a quick snapshot, in the United States, immigration is sort of um, segmented, if you like, with family-based immigration, meaning family members are helping their spouses, parents, children, immigrate to the United States and siblings. Or business immigration where people are setting up businesses a lot of my clients move from the uk to set up businesses here or you are an american business trying to get talent often engineers are trained in india and china and different parts of the world and you know technology is everything these days but there aren't enough uh, of those types of um workers and talent here so i help people with those visas. And America has a a soup of visas. It's generally referred to as visa soup, A, B, C D to all the way to s and t which visa is the right one for this category how do you help them get here do you fit the mold is it a square peg in a square hole is or is it a square peg in a round hole one of my passions um has been to help people who start companies and so my first book published in 2015 which i'm actually working on updating and releasing this year is called the startup visa and in the UK we have one but in the US we don't yet even though it was um uh, you know advocated from 2009 and 10 and so you know, it's been an interesting journey sort of following these very unique issues that have now, you know, are being spoken about about by a lot of people, but in 2009-10, not a lot of people were following them in the same way. And so I really followed those issues. Uh, And a lot of my clients are people who start companies, but I help religious organizations, you know, priests, for example, musicians, dancers, people who are geniuses quote unquote geniuses the visa that you know president trump's wife had allegedly gotten called a no visa Uh, and and green cards you know they come in all uh, you know different types of forms so that's my day job i really love it because you know when you i i have my own business you know as a law firm it is essentially a business running you know how are you doing the taxes and are you complying with the laws the government has set for you and those are the things that often uh, business owners have to comply with and that's the paperwork i need for applications um and so that's that's my that's what the business is about for me
0: yeah it's amazing <laughs> um so yeah, so tell me a bit about these books. So, you've got the startup visa and then uh, legal heroes in the Trump era. So, tell me a bit about uh, both of them and, and, and how they came about.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for asking. I'm I'm so grateful. The first book basically came out of uh, various blog posts I did on the startup visa. I was writing about it incessantly, knowing that it could really be beneficial to the United States. It really is a win-win formula. If you're asking people to come here, you know, with their sweat equity or even invest their own money and you're asking them to create jobs and just giving them a foundational sort of process, It truly is win-win because immigrants move countries because they don't want a handout. They really want to go where they can make a difference. And so I blogged about it so much that it really put me on the map. And all of those pieces eventually became a book because a client who's a venture capitalist said, you need to write a book. And I thought, oh yeah, I can write a book. Only to find out that writing a book is not as simple as taking the blog post. So it was, it was, oh my gosh, I rewrote the whole thing. It was a fresh book, but it gave me the courage to think I could do it. And that was 2015. But then 2016, we got a new president that threw us into the middle of you know chaos from day one. And so I stopped thinking about writing things. I was really at the forefront fighting. You know, where do we need the lawyers? Do we need them at the airport? Do we need them at the legal clinics? Um, Do we need to help the separated parents who have found themselves in Washington state? And, And I found myself really devoting so much time to community because... The community was scared. Mm -hmm. Even if you're a legal immigrant here, you are faced with problems suddenly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Often people stay in the US for 10 plus years on a temporary visa because they're in a line to get a green card suddenly those people's visas were being denied so not only the people that you hear about in the news the undocumented people or muslims and mexicans and what have you they were scared the legal immigrants were also finding themselves in a unique you know unprecedented situation and why did it get to a point where
0: legal immigrants were in trouble you know
1: Be- because and that's such a good question because the intricate policies are not Uh, Understood so much. You know, let's just take a typical H1B visa. You have to show you're a real employer doing the real boring employer things you do pay taxes, have an office, have clients, have business, have revenue. Then you have to show you have a job that requires that. So let's say if you're a tech company, you are working on tech, you know, projects. So you have a job description saying, I'm working on this project and you need to know C and, you know, customer analysis and all of those things by the way that's not my regular language I've learned that because of my clients. yeah but then you have to have these employees match those skills does the employee have a computer science degree or is it an information management degree is that the right kind of degree for this job typically pre-trump you could really mold them together and say yes we have met the requirements but what Trump did was said hmm if you're a computer programmer by the way you know that you can become a computer programmer without an academic degree therefore you cannot now meet uh, the requirements of being an h1b visa holder because the threshold is having a bachelor's degree in fact that was just overturned last week this computer programmer issue but that was done right at the beginning of trump's presidency yes,
0: is, sorry to interrupt you, is that a pattern where um, where certain Types of visas that require degrees, for example, um, are being, you know, taken to a point where, like, like Trump did with the computer programmers, where uh, they recognise that you don't necessarily need a degree to acquire the skills to be able to call yourself a computer programmer. For example, is that happening across the board where they're where they're kind of doing that?
1: But very much so. You've hit it on the nail. And, then, and what do you think of that? Do
0: you think that's a bad thing that that they're acknowledging that people don't necessarily need the formal education to, to get to that point?
1: Well, some Yes, there are some associate's degree that will allow you to do that, but the Department of Labor here will distinguish which jobs actually do need a degree and which do not. But the Trump administration reinterpreted a lot of those things. And some of those interpretations were done draconianly. So, for example, uh, does the employer have enough money uh, to do this job? Um, Often tech companies will send their employees to the client's office because you need to be situated there to deal with that project. Suddenly, we were seeing more scrutiny on whose employee is it? Is it your employee or the end client's employee? Those were taken to measures we'd never seen before. And that's how those denials were happening. And essentially, they were scrutinizing things in ways we had never seen them before. They were scrutinizing them in details that were not necessarily necessary to meet the requirements. And that's how legal immigration sort of became m- more and more difficult uh, over time. And the term that you might hear is something called invisible wall. You know, Trump Ooh. came into office saying, we want a border wall. But what really happened is there was an invisible wall where the layers of brick were just stacked on top of each other, where now, President Trump is having a lot of difficulty dismantling that wall, and it actually will take years to really fully dismantle. Yeah.
0: So that's yeah. how
1: the change has happened.
0: Because you've kind of got the real <laughs> partial wall, yeah. and then you've got the more metaphorical, perhaps more pervasive wall. Um,
1: Absolutely, you so, hit it on the nail so, there. So this podcast part-
0: episode with Tamina Watson is going to be uploaded in two parts, so stay tuned next week for the next part. If you've made it this far into the episode then I'm sure that you've enjoyed yourself and that the episode has brought you some value. If it has please follow me on Instagram, subscribe to my YouTube channel and show your support on whichever platform you're listening from. It really helps me to know what I'm doing right and also your feedback is much appreciated.